America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Fellow Ghanians, yeah. that always are not initiating a nationalist movement sort of so wherever you are in ghana if you have that kind of perception that airways are teaming up to um, depart from ghana and for that matter you have to treat them differently from other Ghanaians. i'm speaking directly to somebody right now you should know that airways have always been Ghanaians. And there is, they will always be Ghanaians. and they will always be Ghanaians. Yeah. so under no circumstance whatsoever should people treat airways differently because you have this perception that they were not Ghanaians, they later joined and all those things. <laughs> and that is why everyone must take time. If only airways go and learn the history and the others don't, they will continue to treat them that way. Mm. So everyone should now inform themselves about what this is about so that we all get to live harmoniously yeah. as Ghanaians. Yeah, Adam. All right. Um, I think in my opening statement, I mentioned that at the core of this is the failure of uh, education at the basic level. Yeah. Because growing up, I learned that what is now known as the Volta region was then the British struggle. Mm, some of us, we learned, but we forgot. Me, I forgot it. <laughs> okay. I had to and go so and read it all over this what, week. I, I think what we need to do is to have a very serious and holistic review of our entire curriculum. Yeah, and then putting some good and history. Putting some not skewed. Very, I mean one that is it's not skewed objective history, and not half truths. Yeah. Not, you know, false statements. Yeah. That is very, very, very yeah. important. One last thing I'd like to say is that we are not always we are not down throated people. Our language is actually international. I tell people there's in the lab, but I say we speak away in Togo, we speak away in Benin and some parts of Nigeria. Mm. And so we are we are we are out there, we are many and definitely unity to push us forward. Okay, thank you very much. Up next is my The Bloods uh, with Thirsty. World Service for the very best of previews to the sporting weekend. Listen to George Addo Jr. on the locker room on Joy 99.7 FM. Hello, I'm Lee James, host of Sports World on the BBC World Service. For the best of previews to the sporting weekend, listen to George Addo Jr. on the locker room on Joy 99.7 FM. Live on radio, live online. This is the locker room on Joy 99.7 FM with George Adu Jr. Basketball is high on the weekend sporting agenda as we take another leaf in the NBA Championship Finals between the LA Lakers and the Miami Heat. Spins away from that and an easy layup. 25 points. But he's averaging almost 30 per game in the playoffs for his career. 
at a 34-point game tonight. As Jones gets a nice feed here, sometimes we take for granted. And Cook throws in a three. Their excellent play, a dominant victory led by their two stars. A final score is an 18-point advantage, but they led by as many as 32. It's advantage LA Lakers after game one. And with a number of injuries, the Heat would need to rekindle the dream of carrying the trophy back to Florida. We'll be in Disney World to preview game two and three in the bubble. A third Grand Slam of the year is only in the third round, but the casualties have been marquee so far. Serves onto the forehand of Medvedev, and the return is long. Nadal collapses onto his back, and he's won it in five sets after Daniel Medvedev threatened to snatch the trophy out of his hands. A day and an evening none of us will ever forget. Federer. There it is. And it's over. There it's it over. Novak Djokovic in a tiebreak is the man to break out in the smiles and surely the tears will follow. Cross court by Halep and there it is. Simona Halep is the champion. She's done it in under an hour. She has defeated Serena Williams and she closes out the win. 23-time Grand Slam winner Serena Williams, U.S. Open finalist and two-time Grand Slam winner Victoria Zarenka, young Kogogov, a male fourth seed Daniel Medvedev lead the way of stars knocked out this early. But a 19-time Grand Slam winner Rafa Nadal, 17-time Grand Slam winner Novak Djokovic and U.S. Open champion Dominic Thiem are right in the fight for glory. We'll be in Paris for perspective ahead of the remaining round three games. Free kick. Messi to take this free kick. Curls it round the wall. A long ball for Ronaldo! Oh, what a goal! What a brilliant goal! And there's so much football to save across Europe. With Barcelona Real Madrid heavily involved in La Liga, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund looking to bounce back after defeats in the Bundesliga last weekend. Juventus, Inter Milan continued their struggle for space at the echelons of Serie A. Paris Saint-Germain looked to continue the form in Liga as well. But in England, the weekend's headliner is the Moreno Derby. Towards Kane, it's Messi, it's Lamella. Seven minutes from time, Eric Lamella levels it up. Great chance for Mendy to work his way into the Chelsea fans' hearts here. It's Dyer, and it's 1-0 to Tottenham. Sends Aguar Mendy the wrong way. Raw's encouragement to Hugo Lloris. It's Abraham, who goes to the same corner as Dyer. Sends Lloris the wrong way. And a save by Lloris, he tips it wide. Free kick. Bruno Fernandes scoops it in. Martial with a shot. Oh! It's beaten Edison. It's gone underneath the diving Manchester City goalkeeper into the net. Martial scores and Manchester United take the lead in the Old Trafford derby. 1-0. And we played almost six minutes of out of time. Rain intense. It's played out. McTominay goes for goal. And he scores. What a goal to win the derby. It was played out by Manchester City. There was no one there sky blue shirt only Scott McTominay from Manchester United who on the stretch shot in from 35 yards to make it Manchester United 2. After good outings in midweek Jose Mourinho Spurs faced Manchester United at Old Trafford with so much at stake this early in the season. Crystal Palace are the Stamford Bridge to face crest falling Chelsea. Leeds United continue their brave match at home against Manchester City and Aston Villa have a huge test in Liverpool. We have a preview ahead. If you'd love to send us your comments, we'd love to read them via social media accounts, joy slash 99.7 on Facebook, 0244340437 on WhatsApp, or tweet us at joysportsgh. We'll be on the continent to monitor the change in phase at the helm of Egyptian giants El Ahli and access the chances ahead of the semi-final clash with Juan Casablanca later this month. Time to talk about what the world is talking about in the world of sport. Hello from me, George Adler Jr., and welcome. And the great good evening to you, wherever you are. You're live on Joy 99.7 FM, 9 past the hour 7. And we're coming away with the locker room, as you know. Remember that you can send us your messages on our WhatsApp line, 055 
Hello, Chelsea fans. Later on the show, we have a big debate. And the question is, is Lampard improving? What do you make of this? Alan Fiaka and Eddie Akings will be right on hand to definitely uh, go through this debate. And we'll find out how it ends. So, uh, let's hear from you on our WhatsApp line then. 0551 0551-119-997. 0551-119-997. If you're chasing news in the French Open, yes, we know the likes of Dominic Thiem have gone through to the next stage of the competition. Rafa Nadal as well. On court, Alexander Zverev. <laughs> He's almost finishing things up there, right? It sets up in 5-2 in the third. It's still going to go a long way in that one. Uh, Diego Schwartzman as well is uh, trying his best in this uh, other game that's ongoing in uh, Roland Garros. We'll try as much as possible to activate the phone lines at the end of it all so we can hear from you, Chelsea fans, and what you make of Lampard so far. More on the French Open to come, and we'll talk about the NBA finals. For now, we'll stay on the continent with more. Live on radio, live online, this is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. A day of celebration for Mamelodi's Sundowns and deservedly so after being crowned the champions of Africa. I'm so proud of my boy. He's strong playing with us week in and week out and cups in between the Champions League. As you know, I've called this uh, uh, this program against all odds and Alua continua and victory is certain today. Alahmi is the greatest club in the world and Alahmi fans are the best and I know your passion for your club and I'm sure that you will support me to achieve our dreams together. You are the shield and the sword. I'm counting on you. I'm counting on the great history, the professionalism and the respected board. We are in this together to keep Al Ali always at the top and Ali will always be number one by your persistent support. You are all together in good times and bad times. Five-time Premier Soccer League title winner Pizzo Mosiman is expected to be presented to the fans of Egyptian giant Arkley later tomorrow at the Al Salam Stadium in Cairo. And Mosimani's contract is confirmed with Mamelodi Sandown so it's expected to start work tomorrow. Arkley will participate in this month's CAF Champions League semi-finals against Wakasablanca and there's so much expectation on a man who has won the competition before amidst defeating a number of North African sides on a regular. So how big a challenge is this? How would he fare? Joining me now with some perspective is my colleague and African football expert, Nuhu Adams. Thanks, Adams, for your time on the show, as always. How big is this early job, then, for Pizzo Mosimani? Well, George, um, the early job is quite a huge one. The task ahead is very, very big. Pizzo Mosimani will have to double up effort before he can achieve what Ali wants. Ali is known for winning Cup Champions League. If you win the Egypt League, if you win the Egypt Cup, um, they see it as minor achievement. What they are aiming for in the last seven years is the Cup Champions League. They spent over 36 million euros on new players alone just to make sure they win the Cup Champions League once again. So Pizzo Mosmani is going not because of the Egypt League, not because of the Egypt Cup, but because of the CAF Champions League. He knows the tax ahead. He knows the demands of the Ali board and the fans. And I know that's why he accepted the challenge. He believes in his capabilities. He believes in his attribute that he can do it. So that's how things are going. But I believe Pizzo Mosimani will be successful at Ali. So we know Mosimani has won a number of continental trophies with Mamelodi Sandals and has a pretty good record against the Northern African sides. How will they come in handy in this new job? Pizzo has achieved whatever he wanted to achieve in South Africa. He's won the PSL titles five times. He's won the, the Bank Cup one time. He, he's won the Telcom Knockout three times. CAF Super Cup, CAF Champions League. He was African best coach in 2016. Four times best coach of South Africa. I think this, this is quite a massive, massive achievement by... Pizzo Mosimani with Mamelodi Sundowns. Even last season, he won domestic trouble, winning the PSL, the Netbank Cup, 
and the tech come knockout. You know, it was just unfortunate he couldn't go far with Mamelodi Sundowns in the Cup Champions League. But last season, we also how he he batted an Ali in the quarterfinals of the Cup Champions League, giving Ali their worst ever defeat in the history of the competition with a 5-0 scoreline in Pretoria. So Ali knows Ali knows how Pizzo is going to improve their team. Pizzo is always difficult to beat when he missed North African size. He's been beat, meeting with that athletic club and we've seen the results. So I think Ali have the belief in him. Ali have decided to go for Pizzo Motimani because they think he's the ideal man to lead them to the ninth Champions League title. And I think um, um, it's quite going to be interesting how Picho is going to start. Uh, Picho is, um, for, is very, very fortunate as well because um, Ali are just three matches away of lifting the CAF Champions League once again. They are in the semi-finals. They will play against without Athletic Club. Familiar for with Picho Mosiman. He's been meeting them in recent times with Mamelodi Sanda. So, um, it's, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting how Pito is going to uh, tackle that game. But if Pito Mosimani is able to overcome with that and then be in the finals of the CAF Champions League, I'm telling you, Pito might be one of the long, longest serving coaches at Ali. So, New, how much of a lift is this for Ali heading into the CAF Champions League semi finals later this month? In fact, on the 23rd, I mean, against Wak Casablanca. Well, this should have been. Difficult times for Ali because um, a coach who built a team, having won the Egypt League, doing so well in the Egyptian Cup, and then in the semi-finals of the Cup Champions League, they they would have wanted him to continue. But Rene Wheeler says no. I'm heading back to my hometown. I can't continue the job. So they had to settle on Pizzo Mosimani. It's going to be a lift for them because they believe in the works of Piso Mosimani. They trust Piso Mosimani is the right man to lead them to win the CAF Champions League. That's why they decided to reactivate his release clause from Mamelodi Sandown. So I think even though Rene Wela is, is leaving the team in difficult times, but I believe getting a man they trust, getting a man they believe in his capabilities is going to be some sort of a boost for El Ali going into their semi-final game against Raja Casablanca. So it's going to be a very, very interesting game. We know Raja is also a force to work on within the African game. So um, it's going to be very, very interesting times. Let's see what happens when the two teams face. Memo is an African football expert and join me with some analysis. And of course, now time to talk some tennis. So much ongoing already. Uh, right now on court, Schwartzman trying to weave his way around to the next stage of the competition. Told you the likes of Rafa Nadal have made it through to the next stage of the competition. Dominic Thiem, Simona Halep is looking really, really good. But it's uh, just a very good time now to look back on six days already of competition at uh, Paris French Open. Live on radio, live online. This is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr. Onto the forehand of Medvedev. And the return is long. Nadal collapses onto his back. And he's won it in five sets after Daniel Medvedev threatened to snatch the trophy out of his hands. A day and an evening none of us will ever forget. Federer. There it is. And it's over. There it's it over. Novak Djokovic in a tiebreak is the man to break out in the smiles. And surely the tears will follow. Cross caught by Halep. And there it is. She has done it in under an hour. She has defeated Serena Williams and she closes out the win. Final. A Grand Slam final. Victory for Sofia Cannon of the United States. Team hits the backhand. The doll with the forehand into the net. Dominic Team slowly raises his arms to the sky. Team comes out on the winning side. I had really the feeling that I was lucky in the right situation. Uh, Ned Cord was, was really on my side, uh, but it's necessary because he's uh, one of the greatest of all time, biggest legends uh, this sport's ever had, so you need some luck to, to beat him. Backhand Djokovic is deep, and Federer puts the backhand into the net. And 
And I'm sure it's a feeling that never grows old for Djokovic. An eighth Australian Open final, that's a record. And now a 26th Grand Slam final. Tennis next. And we're deep into the third round of the French Open in Paris, but already there have been major casualties with Serena Williams, Victor Zarenka, Coco Goff all being shown the exit in a Grand Slam this early. Uh, Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Dominic Thiem, Alexander Zverev, Simona Halep are looking very much focused for sports in the final stages of the competition. There's more action to come this weekend with this round expected to be completed full circle. So it's a good time to look back after six days in the competition at Roland Garros. And I'm being joined now by the BBC senior tennis commentator, Russell Fuller, who has been following the competition in Paris. Thanks, Russell, for your time on the locker room. And just a good time then to get into this. If there's anyone to challenge a king of clay, it should be the US Open champion, Dominic Thiem, uh, who has had a few good games already in the competition. But how difficult a task is this? I think it'll be very difficult for anybody to win both titles. Uh, Naomi Osaka's not even going to try because she's not here at the French Open because of a little bit of an injury problem. Uh, Thiem... If anybody can do it, I suppose team can. And he started very well against Marin Cilic. Very awkward first round match, as you say. He won 6-4, 6-3, 6-3. And given the emotions of winning a first Grand Slam title only a couple of weeks ago, having had only a couple of days practice actually at Roland Garros, that was a very good start. And Rafa Nadal looked good too, I have to say. Straight sets winner over Igor Gerasimov. Serving and hitting his forehand much better than he did in the quarterfinal defeat to Diego Schwartzman in Rome last weekend. Russell Novak Djokovic has been ruthless in the competition so far, easily winning the games and sets. He is a highly driven individual, we know. But I wonder whether what happened to him in New York has put more fire in his belly. Yeah, it's probably an extra motivation, isn't it? Having missed what everybody considered a golden chance to win an 18th Grand Slam title because he was disqualified for hitting that lines judge in the throat. Although we just should point out once again that he wasn't intentionally firing the ball in her direction. He's had a chance to prepare on clay, which could be very significant over the next couple of weeks perhaps come to terms with what happened in new york he said i need to accept it and move on and realize that i'm a flawed human being like everybody else and he looked really good to having won the title in rome at the italian open on monday he lost just five games in beating Mikhail Imer in an hour and 38 minutes it was an interesting day on day three uh russell world number 44 christina mladonovic called for a football style vr system in tennis as a double bounce held her open and reached the French Open second round. Mladonovic had set point at 5-1 in the first set when German Laura Sigmund claimed a winner. Clearly, the infraction, according to Mladonovic, was missed by umpire Eva Azadaki. Let's hear what she had to say. Obviously, that double bounce, uh, it was set point. It was supposed to be 6-1. And I think the chair umpire was the only person not to have seen in on the center course so we can call that a turning point i mean should have been six one i don't know about the outcome of the rest of the match after that but yeah it was definitely a key point so russell you were right there in paris watching this what happened there Laura Siegmund failed to get to the ball before it bounced for a second time and that should have given Kristina Mladenovic the first set 6-1. It didn't happen. She lost the match 7-5-6-3. It was a bit of a collapse from that point of view. And Mladenovic was blaming the umpire, which tends to happen in football too, doesn't it? The referee gets the blame. Uh, Laura Siegmund may or may not have known that she hadn't got to the ball before it bounced for a second time. It was very unfortunate for Mladenovic and I wonder if we talk about a form of VAR in tennis i think there are times where you would say well if the umpire can't see something properly it would make sense to double check given the technology we have but then again do we really want to go down the same route that football's gone down over the past year well, my thoughts exactly russell i run into bad timing and bad luck serena williams is the greatest player in the open era but her quest for a record equaling 24th grand slam title is on pause at least for the time being well, the focus on Serena Williams is inevitably on whether she can get this elusive 24th Grand Slam. So do you get a sense that she probably knew she wouldn't be able to achieve this in Paris? And that factored into her decision to withdraw in the game against Pironkova. Yes, I think so. Maybe she could have got past Svetlana Pironkova, who had such a brilliant US Open in her first tournament for over three years, lost to Serena Williams in the quarterfinal stage. But 
to go right the way through the fortnight to win a record equaling 24th Grand Slam singles title she obviously felt would have been beyond her and I think she would have struggled here anyway given the short turnaround between reaching the semi-finals in New York on a hard court and then coming over to Europe to play on the clay at Roland Garros and unfortunately injuries are becoming more of an issue for her which is not unusual in your late 30s it's inevitable she had lots of knee and back problems last year it did cost them momentum at crucial parts of the season she still managed to reach the final of Wimbledon in the US Open having said that so I think she needs a little bit of luck with her body now we almost certainly won't see her again until January she'll probably only have one tournament to prepare for the Australian Open so that's not going to be easy for her either so then Russell how big a blow is the loss of Serena Williams and a few big names as well this early in the competition well, every time Serena Williams leaves a tournament, it is a big blow for everybody concerned. There may be one or two opponents out there who would rather not play her, but clearly when she's not here, then the draw is not the same. Other players that have lost include Victoria Azarenka, a runner-up at the US Open. She was beaten to in her second-round match by Anna Karolina Schmidlova of Slovakia. So there's another marquee name. But there's still plenty of players left in, like Simona Halep, the top seed who won today in straight sets. Uh, Elena Svitolina of Ukraine as well, who's the third seed. So I think there's, there's plenty of very marketable names for the French Federation. Well, Russell, I know Rafa Nadal complained about the balls at the competition. Quite a number of stars did. But he has looked impressive in the competition so far. How intimidating is this for the others? Yeah, as you'd expect him, Nadal, he made his point about the balls. He pointed out it was cold. We could all feel that ourselves, but it wasn't going to throw him remotely off his stride once the championships began and it was a demolition against Mackenzie McDonald of the United States that very lowly ranked at the moment because of recent injury problems 6-1, six, 6-love, six, 6-3 six, and almost as impressive in a straight sets win over Jack Sock, the American qualifier, was Dominic Thiem, the US Open champion, he was playing on the Suzanne Longland court at the same time. Stan Wawrinka champion in 2015, looked good in a four set win over Dominic Kupfer but Alex Zverev of Germany, who came so close to winning that US Open title two sets up, remember, against Team in the final has had another of those epic first week five set Grand Slam matches and as he tends to do he's won it again just against Pierre Huguerbert of France Well Russell another one picked up you know during the competition as he started and I remember there were tears stunts and an angry tantrum during a crazy French Open match you know rocked by heavy accusations leveled by the loser Dutch fit seat Kiki Bettens was accused of faking injury as she was taking off court in a wheelchair after a stormy Roland Garros second round win over the former finalist Sarah Irani. Uh, I don't know how to say in English, le prese per il culo. You know when somebody is joking on you because she can play an amazing match. She played an amazing match, but I don't like the, the situation. One hour, like, she's injury and she ran like <laughs> never. So I don't like that. I mean, um, she go out of the court with a on a chair and, and now she's in the locker perfect in the restaurant so I, I don't like these things I'm sorry so you feel like that she was exaggerating yeah R well Russell that match was pretty brutal but the animosity between the players is the main talking point obviously because we don't often see or hear this as clearly as we're doing now no, and a lot of people would like to see it more for in <laughs> tennis, like in some other sports. It was the most eccentric match. 24 breaks of serve. And as you heard, Burton's was cramping horribly. Irani was serving horribly. She had the yips on her ball toss. It was disappearing over her shoulder. And she had to resort to underarm serving because she was running out of time. You have 25 seconds to serve. And then it got a little bit nasty afterwards, didn't it? With Irani accusing Burton's of faking it. Burton's response, by the way, if you think I was acting, maybe I should be pursuing a career in the theatre. So, Russell, day six and counting at the French Open. Who are the contenders at this stage in the men's and women's singles? Can we really look past the likes of Simona Halep and Rafa Nadal? Well, Simona Halep, I think, would be a clear favourite in the women's singles. And that's the first time, really, in the last two or three years, with any confidence, we've been able to say there is a favourite in the women's draw because it's often so unpredictable. There are other players who can definitely push her close. Um, mentioned one of them in Elena Svitolina. On the men's side, we're still looking very much at Nadal, Team, and Novak Djokovic. But as I mentioned earlier, Stan Wawrinka is looking pretty good too. Russell Fuller, yeah, the BBC senior tennis commentator, right in Paris for the Roland Garros. Thank you so much for your time on the show.
All right. Uh, just to give you the scores, if you're following it, Alexander Zverev has gone through to the next stage of the competition. Just to tell you, Stan Wawrinka is out of the competition and Schwartzman, Diego Schwartzman, has just gone through. It's a good time now then to run straight into the NBA. Let's talk some basketball now. Zero shot block continues. Caldwell Paul Politic takes it back out. None trying to keep his rhythm going. Boy, Kendrick not off the bench. One of the few bright spots for the Miami Heat as we approach four minutes remaining. Lakers have led by as many as 23. Excuse me, as many as 32. And that's it. Zero to Hill. And Solomon Hill. By the way, who plays golf on a game day? Tyler Hero off the glass. Just, and they've eased their way into a win as James with another bucket. Max Hinner comes to help. Spins away from that and an easy layup. 25 points. But he's averaging almost 30 per game in the playoffs for his career. And at a 34-point game tonight. And as Jones gets a nice feed there, sometimes we take for granted. And Cook throws in a three. Their excellent play. A dominant victory led by their two stars. A final score is an 18-point advantage, but they led by as many as 32. NBA next. And we know the LA Lakers are big favorites and have edged in front after the first game in the overall NBA final series against the Miami Heat. LeBron James and his troops have the chance to go two games up tonight in the bubble at Disney World. Remember, the Los Angeles Lakers dominated an injury-plagued Miami Heat in Game 1 of the NBA Finals to take the victory by a margin of 116-98. to 98. Usual suspects doing the damage for the Lakers with Anthony Davis scoring 34 points, while LeBron James scored 25 points and made 13 rebounds. So what challenge can the Heat put up in the next game considering... There were knocks for NBA veteran Goran Dragic and All-Stars Bam Adebayo, as well as Jimmy Butler. They all left the court with injuries. So let's get some perspective ahead of the action. And joining me is a former national basketball captain, now-turned coach, Coach Mimi Falconer, with huge victories under his belt for some analysis. Thanks, Mimi, for your time on the show and a pleasure to have you all through the series for this year. So we know the Miami Heat may have Dragic and Adebayo back for Game 2 later tonight. Especially Adebayo, who reportedly intends to play despite the recurrence of a shoulder injury picked up in the Eastern Conference Finals. Can these inclusions shape the dynamic for the Miami Heat? Hi, George. Thank you for having me, man. Um, <laughs> well, I was on the game. I was expecting a little more from the Miami Heat coming into the series, you know, facing the juggernaut Los Angeles Lakers. And I was thinking maybe... Um, the Heat were going to be more of a challenge to them, but the gods of basketball, or as they say, the basketball gods have it the other way, where the Heat have actually suffered a couple of, more than a couple of injuries that is actually depleting the team and the team performance. With uh, Butler rolling his ankle, he will play, but I'm not sure he'll be more than 80% fit or health at health level coming into the game. Um... You know, what's the uh, uh, Bam Adebayo? We're not sure if it's a wrist injury or a shoulder injury. He's definitely going to play, but it's it's not going to be... Um, he's not going to be at 100%. And I, I'm not sure about Goran Dragic because Goran tore like a, a plantar flexor muscle in his foot. And this is the muscle that helps you point your feet downwards you know so with that torn motion and movement in that respect would be very difficult with these three guys not at 100 percent, i do not see how they're about to overcome the juggernaut los angeles lakers right now who have their eyes set on a a fourth ring for lebron james you know so it's 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 going to be difficult i mean putting them in I mean they're going to have to play but I don't think Goran Dragic is going to play anyway I don't think he's going to make it I think they, like you said um, Kendrick Nunn is going to replace him but Kendrick being a a rookie doesn't have that playoff experience he did well in the first game but it was mostly garbage time and you know he put up his points he got his shots in 8 for 11 it's not bad for a rookie but the experience when it comes down to the crunch time it's going to be difficult. I mean, we've seen, you know, the the Hero, Tyler Hero, and um, 
Robinson and them, you know, they're basically fresh off the boat in the NBA, scoring amazing shots and stuff like that against other teams. But when it comes to the final, we saw how much they missed. You know, like you said yourself, like <laughs> some of them were even minus 35 in player efficiency. So it's it's difficult to actually just throw a rookie in there like Kendrick Nunn and expect him to just carry the team. I mean, this is basketball. Anything can happen, but we're playing against LeBron James and uh, Anthony Davis, most probably the most uh, best basketball player in the world right now. So um, it's difficult. Well, maybe the biggest positive of the Miami Heat then uh, was the performance of Kendrick Nunn, who managed 18 points on 8 of 11 shooting in the NBA Finals opener. Tyler Harrow, Duncan Robinson received reality checks as their former went 35 and the latter couldn't get on the board. Overall, Eric Spoelstra has a tough job ahead of him. How can they build on this? Well, looking at what Spo has to do is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a trench to dig yourself out of it's it's not going to be easy it's it's harsh i mean for the the miami heat it's like they already have a matchup problem you know with the kind of team that the los angeles lakers have every time there's a switch you know switches are created in basketball to get mismatches but anytime there's a switch there's no mismatch for the lakers like you could switch on anyone and anyone can guard anyone else right there and, and you know cause problems for them on the switch so it's not going to be easy unless their shots are falling if Miami's shots are not falling then it's going to be difficult for them to come dig themselves out of that hole but uh, I'm just thinking you know Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson they, they they're supposed to like pull up the team, you know, they did, they, but it's it's difficult doing it without Butler at hundred percent and and Bam at a hundred percent and um, um, without their point guard Goran Dragic, it's 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 difficult. I mean, throughout the the uh, regular season, Kendrick Nunn was the main point guard, you know, and and Dragic came off the bench till Kendrick Nunn got injured, and after he got injured and he put. Goran Dragic in they realized that <laughs> Dragic had a lot of experience you know being a southpaw it's kind of hard to determine which way he's going to go people are not used to guarding southpaws his shots are on point most of the time and, and he's dishing passes like he should he gets to the, the cup like he should too um, you know it's it's hard just pulling him out because of injury right now and throwing rookie Kendrick back in in the finals, this is not the regular season, this is the finals and you're playing against LeBron and them who have their eyes on the prize and, you know, LeBron. Well, Mimi, we know no team has been better at making adjustments than the LA Lakers this season or this postseason. They have started out slowly in so many games, including the NBA Finals opener, and then undergone the necessary tweaks to come up on top. Once they catch all of the game, obviously, they are ruthless enough to not allow the opposition back in. Is that why you think they'll take him two for you? Oh, yeah. It's just been unfortunate that the Miami Heat have just had injuries destroy whatever they could have put up against the Lakers. I mean, I would really have loved to see the Miami Heat, you know, have their full squad, everybody healthy, see what they're going to do against LeBron James and his and his boys. But it's, it's like it's hard right now with three main guys on the team, starters, actually incurring these kind of injuries. It's difficult guarding someone like uh, Dwight Howard. I mean, at almost seven foot with Bama Adebayo at, at six foot nine. You know, and even if he had to switch on Anthony Davis, even worse, who's like 6'11 with a seven foot six, seven foot seven wingspan. You know, it's, 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 it's a battle, but it's difficult. They can shoot. You see, it's not like the big men who couldn't shoot from back in the day. These guys can shoot, you know, LeBron is doing his job. He's dishing passes. All the other team guys are like, <laughs> you know, they're fighting for LeBron's fourth ring. And LeBron, you can imagine the kind of pressure he's put on them. And they're all out there not, not you know, together as a team. We'll come back into the game, but I don't think Goran Dragic is going to play because after tearing that plantar flexor in his foot, 
I don't see how he's just coming back in the game to play. It's not going to work. You go for Butler, though, is going to play, but he's going to be at maximum 80%. It's looking like a sweep, the Los Angeles Lakers, but, you know, anything can happen in basketball. So we look forward to game two tonight uh, and game three on Sunday. Thanks to Coach Mimi Falconer for the time on the show. And it's now time to get into some football. The Joy Sports BBC two-way series. I had a great chat then with the BBC's John Bennett. Quite a number of issues there. Thanks, John, for your time this weekend. And let's begin with a new controversial handball rule adopted by the English Premier League. And so much has gone wrong. So far as managers and players are concerned, at least in the last week. After 26 matches, we've had over 20 penalties and we should certainly expect more at this rate. What are fans, players and managers getting wrong and referees getting right or vice versa? Yeah, I actually feel sorry for the referees, George. Um, I think they've been put in a very difficult position. They've been given these new laws, new rules, new guidelines to follow and they're sticking to them but it just is not working it's ridiculous. I was at Old Trafford when Manchester United uh, gave away that penalty, Victor Lindelof the handball which I thought was ridiculous at the time even more ridiculous when I look back his hand was in a natural position for me he was running, the ball hit him from close range, I can't see how that was a penalty. Eric Dyer as well, yes his arm was in the air but his back was turned so I, I, I do think the referees are being put in a really difficult position and now the Premier League is prepared to formally lobby football's rule makers for a change in the handball rule. They want to avoid a repeat of that Eric Dyer handball incident that caused that controversy last weekend, Tottenham against Newcastle. We've had a spate of handball decisions have led to fierce criticism across the game since the rules were changed. And um, the league is understood to be keen on altering the section of the law which states that handball must be awarded if the ball strikes the hand or arm when it's above shoulder level, as was the case with Eric Dyer. So let's see if the Premier League can try and change the law. I'm not, I'm not sure it will happen during this season, I have to be honest. John, let's talk about the UEFA Champions League draw we saw with little rest claps uh, going again with so much at stake. Let's focus on the draw for the English Premier League size then. Chelsea will be happy with their draw in Manchester City as well. Manchester United in a bit of a difficult draw. Liverpool may, Liverpool may find themselves you know, uh, topping that group as well. But you know, how do you see the draws? Yeah, let's have a look at the draws for the English clubs. I think the toughest test is for Manchester United. Paris Saint-Germain, of course, got to the final. Manchester United knocked them out a couple of seasons ago. RB Leipzig, who are very strong under Julian Nagelsmann. Yes, they don't have Timo Werner, but I still still think they're a massive challenge. And Istanbul, Basaksehir, here, making their debut at this stage of the competition. And they had a really good season last season, so they will be strong. So for me, Manchester United have, have the toughest draw of the English teams. Manchester City should be very comfortable for them. Porto, Olympiacos and Marseille, they are streets ahead of, the, of those three teams. No disrespect to them, it's just that Manchester City, are, even with their defensive problems, are streets ahead of those teams. Liverpool have a, a tougher, tougher challenge. They've got Ajax who aren't as strong as they were two seasons ago when they got to the semi-finals, but still a tough test. Atalanta, who were great to watch last season, um, still a very good side. And FC Micheland, another of the, the debutants. They're an interesting team to watch. George, owned by the same owners as Brentford. Uh, they use data uh, to, to run a lot of things at the club. For example, recruitment. They use a lot of uh, data analytics. Really interesting story there. Chelsea have got Sevilla, Krasnodar and Wren. Wren, I don't think will be as strong as they were last season, selling the likes of Edouard Mendy, who will now face his old club, of course, in that group. Sevilla looked really strong to me in the Super Cup against Bayern Munich. I think they'll be a tough test, but Chelsea should have enough to finish in the top two of that group. So out of the English teams, I think Manchester United have the toughest test. John, back to the English Premier League and Chelsea fans, as we've come to learn, are growing impatient with the team's sloppy performance and inconsistency in Frank, and inconsistency in Frank Lampard's lineups. How much wrong has Lampard done so far and how patient should the fans be? I think we do need patience. The Chelsea fans do need patience. But there is, there is a lot of pressure on Frank Lampard this season. I don't think he's under pressure to win the title, but certainly 
challenge for the title. Certainly get closer to Manchester City and Liverpool. I think they will get closer to Manchester City, but I, I feel that that uh, Liverpool uh, have got so much quality compared to them. Um, we, we saw the game. Obviously, it was a bit skewed by the sending off, but I, I do feel that um, Liverpool are far ahead of them in terms of quality. What I do worry about with Chelsea, and you, George, you can tell me more about this because obviously you're a Chelsea fan, you watch them more than me. I don't see an identity with them. I see an identity with Manchester City, with the way they play. Liverpool, I see a clear identity. Even teams like Leicester and Wolves, you know you know how they're going to play. Brighton, I, I see a clear identity there in terms of what they're trying to do and the way they're trying to play, the style. I don't quite know what the identity is for Chelsea at the moment. And it's difficult because he's brought in six high-profile new signings. He has to get them settled in. But I do think they, they need to find a style, need to find an identity, a way they play. And I'm not sure they have that yet. Uh, Manchester City lost heavily to Leicester City at the Etihad. In a year, Pep Guardiola and his troops are expected to fight back for the title. Or for the title, they lost to Liverpool. Early days yet, but how concerning should that loss be? And does Benfica's Ruben Diaz help the situation at all? Ruben Diaz will help things. He's a defender's defender. You know, he's one of those guys who defends first rather than, you know, playing out from the back. He can play. He's good on the ball. I'm told I haven't seen a huge amount of him, but I know he's a he's a solid defender. So that that is something they really need. I have not seen many games like that last weekend, the, the, the game between Leicester City and Manchester City. Leicester City, for 25 minutes, weren't in the game. They were having a touch. Looks as though they, they, they were going to lose 3-4-0. And then suddenly it all changes. Second half... Leicester City just kept ripping apart that Manchester City defence and that is a real concern. I don't think the concern is just in the back four. I think there's a concern in midfield as well. Is Fernandinho the player he was? Is Rodri really a player who can shield a back four? So I think there are concerns there for Manchester City. Many people were saying City were favourites to win the Premier League ahead of Liverpool. I know it's early days, but to me Liverpool look far, far stronger and they've brought in Thiago Alcantara who's really going to add quality to that midfield when he comes back into the team after his illness. John Everton have been very impressive so far with James Rodriguez, the pivot around which Carlo Ancelotti's tactics revolve. Emphatic win again over West Ham in the Carabao Cup uh, two nights ago. Are the Toffees now fully blown top four contenders? You know what? I think Everton are contenders for the top four. I'm not saying they are going to finish in the top four, but they, they certainly have a chance. What they need to happen is they need to keep their star players fit. So James, Alan, um, I definitely think Dominic Calvert-Lewin as well, the goal scorer, Richarlison. If they get a couple of injuries to those key players, then I think they 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 will slip up because they don't have the depth of squad that, say, Liverpool have or a Manchester City have. What else they need to happen is that they need one of the big guns to slip up. And we're seeing Manchester City slip up against Leicester. Will that become a, a long-term thing? Um, Manchester United haven't been convincing, although there was a slight improvement in the EFL Cup this week they need one of those big guns to slip up and there is a chance of that because you know what is a massive level of this season the fixture congestion the amount of fixtures there are this season will mean that a lot of clubs will pick up injuries and that will be a leveler so if Everton can avoid getting a lot of injuries then I think they are top four contenders so John let's get into the games for the weekend Manchester United Spurs is obviously the headliner for the match day both teams are bouncing off wonderful wins in midweek in the Carabao Cup. What should we expect? Well, Tottenham are buoyant, aren't they, after their two wins in the Cups this week. But it's, it's a crazy fixture schedule, isn't it? Four games in eight days for Tottenham. How can they cope with that, even with squad rotation? That is just unbelievable. How can you prepare for a Premier League game against Manchester United? Um, they've got the international break to come, which I think is going to be intense. Some, you know, some European teams have three games, but where are their players going to get the rest? Um, so if if Tottenham can recover well, then I think it's going to be a very good game. Manchester United improved a lot against Brighton in the EFL Cup. I thought that was a really good performance with kind of their second string, but you saw them returning to fitness. I, I think they were not match sharp when they played Crystal Palace. On, on the first day of the season when I watched them at Old Trafford. Now they've had a bit more football in their legs, a bit more training. I, I think it's going to be a very, very close game, but I just do worry for Tottenham after that fixture congestion. John, let's have a look at the rest of the games too. Chelsea against Crystal Palace at the Stamford Bridge. They're impressive. Aston Villa have a big test in Liverpool. Arsenal meet Sheffield. <laughs> what should we expect? And of course, there is Leeds up against Manchester City. 
Yeah, Chelsea have something to prove, don't they, after that 3-3 draw against West Brom. Crystal Palace were very unlucky, I thought, to lose last weekend against Everton with a, another handball penalty decision. Palace, to me, you know you're, you, you know, you know what you're going to get with them. They're very solid, but then they have those flair players like um, Ibire Eze, who's just come into the team, like Wilfred Zahar, like Andros Townsend, who can win a game for them. So Chelsea are the favourites, but as I said earlier, I, I, I do have a slight concern about Chelsea and do they really know what their best team is? Do they really know their identity? Liverpool against Aston Villa. I, I think Liverpool look really strong. They've started the season better than, than I thought, actually. I thought they'd pick up the wins, but their performances have really impressed me. Aston Villa have made another good signing, bringing in Ross Barkley. I think they will stay up no problem at all this season. I think they're going to have a good season, but I can't see them getting anything out of Liverpool. And Arsenal against Sheffield United. Arsenal, everything is going really well for them, isn't it? But I do think there are question marks. You know, they weren't great against West Ham. And, I, I, you know, not, it's not all rosy at Arsenal. Yes, and they lost to Liverpool. They were comprehensively outplayed. Sheffield United, though, I worry for them. I was at Bramwell Lane, their home ground, at the weekend last Sunday when they were lost to Leeds. They put in a decent performance, but they just can't seem to score goals at the moment. What will help them is that Rian Brewster is coming in from Liverpool, the young striker, very talented striker, who was on loan at Swansea last season and impressed that could help them get the goals they need. But um, I do worry that they're suffering second season syndrome and it could be a long season for Sheffield United. Thanks, Sean, for a time on the show. the BBC's John Bennett there with uh, a lot of analysis going into the weekend and we've got for you some special games to come yes I know on Sunday the Joy Sports Arena we've got live commentary for you on the game involving Manchester United and Spurs that is the game at Old Trafford and we've got live commentary for you so you want to really follow up and uh, there's so much to come there right now we have to talk about Chelsea so much happening there a debate a little debate is on Elon Fiaka is joining me in studio alongside him is Eddie Akins our little question then is Is Lampard improving? Let's hear from you on our WhatsApp line 0551 111 997 For now, are the Stanford Ridge? Let me just introduce the guys right now. Joining me in studio, Ellen Fiaka. How are you doing this evening? Doing absolutely amazing, Mr. Ado Jr. Yes, that's good. Uh, Eddie Akins, how are you doing? Fantastic on a Friday night. Friday night, always great. Um, right after this, we're heading straight to the Lavadi Beach Hotel. Yes, yes, yes. yes. It's the open uh, house party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't hear the weekend warmer. The weekend warmer. The weekend warmer. I didn't hear that. Yes, open house parties tomorrow. Yes, it's all going right in there. So we're heading straight to the Lavadi Beach Hotel. And all drinks on George. No problems at all. So we're going. We are going straight to uh, the Labadi Beach Hotel. Uh, but before we do that, we've got eight minutes to sort out a uh, matter that I'm sure most Chelsea fans have been grappling with the whole of um, the week. Uh, of course, Chelsea lost to Spurs. And uh, even more importantly, I'm sure a number of Chelsea fans were excited with that game uh, against West Brom, even though we ended the 3-0. So the question now is, though, um, is Lampard improving or not? Eddie Aking says that Lampard is surely improving. Alan Fiaka says Lampard is not improving. So it's a good time to get into our debates. Don't know if you're ready, guys. Yeah, All right, so like we're just coming off the back of a fantastic uh, National Science of Mars quiz. We know that St. Augustine's have been knocked out. Okay, we're just going to do a little style right now. A crack academy, good stuff <laughs> going through to the next stage of the competition, as always. Eddie, and Eddie, uh, Eddie, is your school still in the competition? Eddie, I think I did the college still in the competition. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are not hopeful, <laughs> just to be fair. Unfortunately, we got kicked out. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Oh, in front of him. 
Don't understand why a lot of seconds are jubilating. Uh, you should understand that uh, one record has just been saved there. They wanted to do back to back. Augustus really wanted to do this. No, but when you were legends, Buffalo and this ride of the National Science and Maths. Who are they? Who are they? Who are they? <laughs> Front room is a legend. No, I see. A, I don't know what made you a legend. school. Okay, that's you say. Yeah. Guys, let's get back to the topic again. <laughs> if there's anything at all, uh, Chelsea's blue and definitely uh, one up there for Prosecco gone. But let's do the analysis. And so, in the first round, you've got one minute and thirty seconds. Yes, to tell me what you think. Let's start with you, Elam Fiaka. Why do you say Lampard? Is not improving in one minute thirty seconds. Definitely. I mean, look at the current Chelsea record. They've, they've won what two in the last eight competitive games. When it mattered most, Frank Lampard has showed that he's a very, very undecisive manager. Now, when you have a coach that has played twenty-six different back four back defensive uh, uh, partnerships, then it shows you that he doesn't know what his best team is. And um, he had was Zuma and Christiansen one, one time. He had Rudiger and Zuma. He had Tomori in here. He had Aspeliqueta. A lot of people were questioning why he was even playing. Alonso, all of that. He was getting the midfield mix wrong all the time. The attacking mix, the, the tenacity of the game, a lot of back passes. The team seems to be a team that stagnated. And they've stagnated because when you when you watch that game against Tottenham, it's a game with all the quality oozing through Chelsea's ranks. And the fact that Tottenham Hotspur arrested a lot of their key players, they should have gone out there and won. What, what happened was a game where Lampard again was very indecisive. At a very, very crucial point of the game, when you're leading, you've got two strikers on the pitch. What do you do? You take off Olivier Giroud, who was your, your, your point man, and then you bring on Tammy Abraham. A lot of people will probably expect that you bring in a midfielder to shore up that midfield and see out the game. Because it was, what, the 84th minute when Spurs equalised and went on to penalties. Aside that as well, Lampard seems to be more of a tinker man than Cla- Claudio Ranieri and he when he, he, he coached Chelsea I mean you cannot keep tinkering with your team we need a little bit of consistency and until there's that level of consistency in this Chelsea team we're going to see some lopsided results against West Brom there wasn't that consistency the midfield was run all over the defence were costing 60s and 70s in fact a lot of us wonder whether Lampard coaches any defending at all because of the number of goals that Chelsea ships. And until that is fixed, we would, we would be here every day having these mm, conversations. Mm, but I mm. believe that he's had a year and um, he's had the benefit of going into the transfer market and buying the players he wants. That's not what happens at Chelsea a lot of the time. A lot of the time, the establishment buys the players for you. He's got the players he wanted. Still trying to figure out where to play them until he does that. I don't think he's right, a good George. I love Yaka says uh, Lampard is not improving. Eddie Akins, you should see him in the studio. These things are what's this guy saying, guys? Eddie Akins, the next one minute and 30 seconds. Why do you think Lampard has improved? Look, the only way is up for Frank Lampard. Uh, I think we need to have a uh, comparison and context. So we're looking at uh, <coughs> Mauricio Sarri's time and then uh, when Lampard took over. Uh, we had chance of you don't know what you're doing from the Chelsea faithful when Mauricio Sarri was 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 the coach. It, it, it should tell you something. Uh, those chances have died down. Now under Mauricio Sarri, we had underperforming stars. Okay, uh, we 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 where Chelsea had a, a kind of rigid or stale playing style. Okay, so Frank Lampard had to walk in and improve these things and and and. And boy, he did improve them. So he had to improve individual players, okay? Improve the young performers that he had to blood into the team. So you can talk of an improved Mason Mount. You can talk of an improved Christian Pulisic. You can talk of an improved Tammy Abraham. Because as a coach, you need to improve the individuals to be able to improve the collective. So Lampard certainly has got everyone expecting a lot from these guys because he's been able to coax performances from these young lads week in, week out. And I think that's a masterstroke. Now, he also had to uh, get the best out of key players whose forms had dipped under Mauricio Sarri, i.e. Jorginho, Kovacic, uh, William, uh, Giroud. Okay? All of these guys really stagnated under Mauricio Sarri and and, and, and and Chelsea did not see the best from them. Now, you've got a rejuvenated Kovacic. You've got 
even Jorginho is beginning to split, you know, uh, the debate. You've got some Chelsea fans really thinking that he's key to what Chelsea do under Lampard and he's an integral part of the team going forward. Okay? Under Maurizio Sarri, a lot of Chelsea fans really did not want to hear Jorginho's name. So, Lampard has been able to get the best out of key players. Right. And that's that's, that's why you now, think that he's now, improved. Now, you have just 10 seconds. N- now, yes. Lampard has been able to give Stamford Bridge that playing style that uh, it's so much craved for. Okay? The back passes? <laughs> no, no, not that. So, a possession-oriented yeah. Come on. playing style that oh. Roman Abramovich wanted to see. Okay, so, so, you, so in a nutshell, you say Lampard uh, is improving. Lampard in 30 is seconds, improving. In 30 seconds, your reaction to what he said? I mean, come on, what style are you talking about? The back passes, the defensive laps? The possession-oriented style. And everyone, by everybody and everyone, and everyone who watches Chelsea know they are a front foot team now. But it, okay, it, it, Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea would not sit deep and 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 be reactive. Chelsea are looking to. No, look at Michel Are you saying Chelsea have an identity now? It's a possession oriented. It's 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 a team that is it clear has now? an appetite to attack. Okay, you can talk about what the strategy is and what yeah. the tactic is, but I think there's an identity. You think there's an identity? Ellen, don't you think it's too early to disturb Lampard now? Why is it too early? He's been a year in the job. Look at Arteta. He walked new season, new season, new players. <laughs> new season, new players. But I mean, Lampard walked into a 